If you would, turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 2. Now we're still celebrating Pentecost. We're not done with that yet. And we won't be until we roll back around to Advent, actually. <laughs> so Pentecost and the season of Pentecost, which is also known as proper, uh, common time, is actually the longest season in the church calendar. And so it's the time of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to turn this morning here to, uh, to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look and start reading with verse 42. And this may be a very familiar sort of passage for you, but I want you to hear it anew this morning with ears to hear and eyes to see. Notice these words. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, would You lead us as we look into Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned last week that when you really begin to break down the book of Acts... And by the way, in your study of the Word of God, have you ever come across any word that it just simply says, read your Bible? No? Instead, what it says is study to show yourself approved, right? Which includes reading. But it's more than just reading, isn't it? It's not just a, a checklist, is it? Like doing the dishes. Rather, it's something we should put in us which requires more than just some kind of newspaper reading of the Bible. And if you've ever read the Bible, which I'm assuming most of you have, then you'll know that it does require, doesn't it? More than just a cursory reading of it. It actually requires us to study it. And so in the study of the Word of God, one of the things that's helpful when you're looking at a book or even watching a movie, or reading a novel, or whatever it might be, is to understand the outline. Actually, they'll teach you this in speed reading, is that you actually look first at the title of the book, then you look at the table of contents, right? To get a general overview of where the book is going to lead you. In other words, when I pick up a book, I always look at who the author is, who's he being quoted by on the back, I look at the title, I look at who published it, all that stuff is very important, and then I look at the table of contents. I want to know the movements within the book. Now, that's nice and all, but that's a modern thing. (laughs) You know, when we turn to the book of Acts, for instance, is there a table of contents? 
Is there an outline already done for us? No, it's not. Rather, we've got to do the work. Now, thankfully, thankfully, there are 2,000 years of people doing that sort of work. And if you would like to be led in the right direction of some that are trustworthy, I can, do, I can help you do that. I can point you in the direction of, of some people that can actually help you understand some of these books in a better way. But one of the ways I mentioned last week to understand the, this book of Acts, which again, remember, joins the Gospels to the Epistles. Right? It's a bridge document. It's taking us from the life of Jesus now to the church spreading around the world. And then the epistles, of course, are going to be individual letters, also church letters, and then we're going to have the conclusion with Revelation. So, so that's the whole design of the New Testament. Acts is a very critical piece to that whole structure. Now, in the book of Acts, when you start breaking down its structure, really its skeleton or outline, just like any sermon you hear or any television show, a sitcom, you may think it's just sort of randomly spun out. It's not. Everything is designed. It has an outline. Whether or not it's given to you beforehand or not, it has a backbone which leads it to its next point. If it doesn't, we just simply call it Babel, right? Um, and no one wants to just hear Babel. And so Acts, one of the ways to understand is this character outline that I mentioned. You remember this? From Peter to Paul. So Peter dominates sort of the first 12 chapters of Acts. And then Paul will take it from chapter 13 on. Now you meet Paul before that, but I'm saying main character here. Now the true main character, as we we sort of said last time, is actually the Holy Spirit, right? Is actually Jesus' Spirit working in the church. Now you could really understand it this way. The Gospels is about the life of Jesus and His ministry. Acts is about the body of Jesus and our ministry. Isn't it? And how it ends is very abruptly. Paul is under house arrest and he's making plans to go to Spain. He's not there yet. He made it to Rome, which was one of his plans. Unfortunately, he made it there arrested, right? Uh, Incarcerated, which is, by the way, again, why we do prison ministry, right? Uh, Paul did prison ministry. He actually went to prison. Uh, Not just to visit, but to be a prisoner. And uh, there's actually some prison epistles that you should check out that deal with that. And so we have these two sort of main characters that are very different, we mentioned last time. Very different in how they actually ministered, honestly. Paul is sort of, you know, uh, this whirlwind. You know, he's just all over the place. He's like, he's, he's, I mean, if you've ever saw a diagram of all of the missionary journeys that he takes to the churches, I mean, he is making his rounds. Whereas Peter is the rock. Jesus even says this of Peter. So you have sort of two very different ministries. And as I mentioned last time, God has called us to minister, to be sent, and he's going to, our ministries aren't going to look the same. My ministry is not going to be your ministry. Your ministry, you're going to be able to minister to people that I'll never be able to touch. They'll never listen to me. You know, one of the, um, you know, used to, if you, if you come into uh, sort of a social setting and you said you were a pastor, that was, that was like an honorable thing. Uh, not anymore. When I say I'm a pastor now, everybody starts cleaning up their language and uh, putting aside their, their drinks and moving away from me. So I try to keep that at bay, actually, when I go into social settings just so as not to scare people away. You know, because as soon as I do, it's like a showstopper. Boom. You know, 
put the brakes on. This guy's a weirdo. I'm getting out of here. Uh, he swindles money. You know, he's got stuff going on, whatever. Who knows what all the, the preconceptions are today of what a pastor is, but it's not an honorable position in the American context anymore. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we're not really a Christian nation anymore. And so I think that's self-evident by, by looking at the fruit that's coming out of America. We haven't been for a long time, just no one's really picked up on that. And so the reality is this. These two people had very different ministries. You're already ministering in some way. You're already producing things in your life. You already have gardens that you are growing around you. People that are relating to you and you to them. And you're either poisoning them with our sin, and we've all done that before, or you're fertilizing them and helping them to become better helping them move closer to Jesus Christ. And that, of course, is our mission. Now, this, this uh, sermon title is called God is on the Move, Part 2. Because it's not enough. We couldn't cover everything last week. And we probably won't be able to cover everything this week either. Uh, I'm actually, actually shortening it even further than I ever want to. God is on the move. That's the reality that we live from. God is on the move in Acts. He's on the move in our own world. Let me show you very briefly without you having to track through Scripture. I'll just, I'll just say it for you. 6-7 of Acts. Now we just read sort of an introductory, you know, God is on the move. And they're fellowshipping. They're reading the Word of God. They're breaking bread together. 6-7 says this, And the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Now notice the geography too. In Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Wow! Like you could you could put there many of the many of the uh, sheikhs or many of the uh, Muslim clerics became believers. Nine thirty one of Acts. So the church throughout all Judea. Notice the geography again, and Galilee. And Samaria, does that sound familiar? Start in Jerusalem, move to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, and had peace and was being built up, again the church, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. 12.24, but the Word of God increased and multiplied. 16.5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. 1920. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And then the last one, which is a summative statement for the entire book of Acts, 28, 30, and 31. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, talking about Paul, and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's the way the book of Acts actually ends. Which leaves us at chapter 28. And as I said last week, we are living Acts 29. Now it's our turn to pick up that same mantle, that same gospel, that's living that same kingdom, not just citizens of America, which I love America just as much as the next guy or girl. But we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom that will outlast any nation on this earth. Did you catch the readings this morning even? Don't look to earthly rulers. They're not going to help. Thanks be to God. 
sort of our political scene is kind of helping us not look to earthly rulers, isn't it? We shouldn't have been looking at them in the first place to help. We have a different king, ultimately, don't we? Yes, we're a part of the political process. We're, we're political. That's what we are as humans. We have to politicize and live in an organization. But that is not the end all. The end all is the kingdom of Jesus Christ that is reigning now. Not all can see it. And that's our job, is to make it known. And the only way that can happen is if just like in Acts, God is on the move. Now, I told you to watch for the geography, right? And I'm no geographic sort of dude, but it's very simple. Jesus gives a commission, and in that commission He says, start in Jerusalem. From there, move to Judea, which is just right out the whole area really of Jerusalem, to Samaria, which, do you remember who the Samaritans were? We can't break that down very heavily. But the Samaritans were this hybrid Jew who had their own Old Testament worshipped up there, which was blasphemy to a Jew. Well, Jesus tells that Samaritan woman, He says, look, one day you're not even going to have to go to Jerusalem because I'm going to break this thing wide open. And He has. It's for all people. God is on the move to all people. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And this is exactly geographically how Acts is laid out. By the time you get to Paul in 13, it's breaking out. The church is breaking out in the empire. And I don't mean the Star Wars empire. I mean the Roman empire, which was just as evil, if not more evil, than what you get in the Star Wars empire. And so God is moving within a very wicked political system. Why not today? Why not now? They had emperors. We don't even have that sort of... We haven't yet gotten that place, right? Not yet. We might be headed that way. And by the way, all nations sort of do head that way. That's the breakdown, unfortunately, of how nations run. They break down because of this thing sort of called entropy. Right? You've heard this? I don't know much about it, but I I looked it up. It actually has to do with inside problem, inside transformation... Because things, actually, when you roll a ball, entropy is going to stop that ball. It helps to bring it down, to slow the motion of that. And when things get started up, works, movement, nonprofits, churches even, they go through cycles where there's growth and people are excited, there's momentum, and then things slow down. Nations do the same thing. People do the same. You do the same thing in your own life. There are times where you're pumped about being a Christian or pumped about being married or pumped about being a parent and there are times when you are simply not. And we can all say, Amen. (laughs) Uh, Or, Oh me. (laughs) Um, As the preachers of old used to say. But, entropy is an enemy of the growth of the church of the kingdom of God and the spread of the gospel. Now in Acts, you don't really see much entropy here. You don't see much slowing down. It's all increasing. It's all on the move sort of thing. And and here's here's the good news. God is on the move in His world. He is on the move. And a lot of times we have... And this is okay to do. You know, in in interpreting the Bible, it's okay to interpret it uh, symbolically. But we also need to get to a part where sometimes it's actually meant to be interpreted literally as well. 
So that, you know, some people say, do you interpret the Bible literally or do you interpret it spiritually or symbolically? I say, both. Depends on where I'm reading, right? God says, I want to bring you under my wing. I don't just automatically deduce that he's a chicken, right? No. I say, I say no, that's poetry. And it's trying to tell me something about God's nature and not about, his, you know, his, his bodily form. Now, it starts in Jerusalem moves to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, we oftentimes symbolically sort of say, you know what, we have our own Jerusalem. Right here in this church is Jerusalem. And then we move out from here, right? You've heard this sort of concentric circles thing where we have local ministry right here in Madison, inside of this church. But we not only minister here, we actually touch sort of regionally, if you will. In our area, by having youth camp, joining forces with other churches, doing serve in the city, which is joining hands with other congregations. In other words, we're not doing this alone. We're seeing ourselves as a larger part of a family within Judea, ministering not only in these doors, but outside of these doors, in the city, in the state, even in the nation, but also further than that, in India. We've helped people in India. We've sent the gospel right here from Harvest Point all the way to India, to Canada. And we're going to do it again. And we're going to do more and more. So, so symbolically, we, we interpret the concentric geography here in Acts to say this is Jerusalem, this is where it begins, and it moves out from here, right? But I want to stop us and say, you know what? Maybe we need to sort of flip that around. Maybe we need to actually look at it literally as well. And that would mean we're actually on the outskirts in America. We're actually, we think we're ground zero because that's sort of the American thing to do, right? <laughs> think of ourselves as the starting point of everything, right? I mean, am, am I wrong on that? But instead, what if we are on the outskirts? What if we are not sort of at home base because it doesn't really feel much like home base anymore, does it? I don't think it ever was home base. We're called to work in the margins, on the fringes of society. That was who Jesus reached out to. That is who Paul's going to. That is what disciples do. We don't go to those who already have it figured out. Actually, Jesus says those people can't be helped. Do you remember when He says this? He says, look, I came for those who are sick, not for those who are well. And so we must go to those who we know are sick, and yet those are the worst ones to be around. They're going to weigh on you. They're going to risk your life, your money, your resources. They're going to pull on you harder than the ones who are nice to be around. And yet we're called to risk it. I was uh, speaking with Jackson last night about, about Harry Potter. He's actually reading through Harry Potter. And, I, and he got, spoiler alert here, but he got to this point where he realized like, everything's coming together at the end of the book. Just like at the end of the movie. Everything's, ah, I know why Dumbledore did that now. He wasn't just weak. It was actually strength to lay his life down. And I said, son, you know, he risked his life. Like He laid down his life. Not just risk it. He laid down his life so that others might live. That sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? He said it wasn't only him, Daddy. Harry did the same thing. Not only that, so did Longbottom. Not only that, 
So did Snape's. He was working in enemy territory, not counting himself as the best, not even caring what others thought about him, and they laid down their life to save others. That is gospel. That's what we're called to do, folks, is work where it risks us. Now, I've got a paper I wish I could read the whole thing, but this threat on our lives has become existential for many Christians, but not so in Asia and Africa. In northern Nigeria, worshipers are slaughtered in their churches and in their living rooms as they're having church, just like they were having church in their rooms. Now just imagine if that was happening in Los Angeles. Just go in there and slaughter them. In Kenya, Christians have been hunted out and killed for their religion in their university dorm rooms. Imagine that happening at Auburn. Just because you were a Christian, you were hunted down and slaughtered and then protected. Your your attackers were protected at shopping malls and public buses. In Libya, it was the Egyptian, Coptic, and Ethiopian Christian migrants who were singled out and beheaded. You saw 20 of them beheaded because of their Christian faith. Pakistan, Christian families were blown up while celebrating Easter in a park. In Yemen last month, the nuns of Mother Teresa's missionaries of charity were tied up and then shot to death and mutilated and their staff was murdered and their priest was kidnapped. He was the only priest in that area. There was a father's son and some of his staff, he was over several church plants. Um, and recently in, in, uh, in northern Iraq, and he and his son were beaten. His son's fingertips were cut off, and they were both crucified by Islamic terrorists. And, uh, and I, you know, we could walk through, it'd take me a few hours, but I could walk you through certain things in Ibn Ashuk's work, which wrote a biography of Muhammad, that this is what you do. That they have their reasons for doing this. Now, not all Muslims are like that, but the extremists are actually reading the documents and doing exactly what, uh, what they're told to do on that move. Now, let me ask you this. I'm not saying you need to go to Yemen. I'm not saying you even need to go to northern Iraq. I'm not saying you have to be some masochist that wants to be persecuted or mutilate yourself. Paul says that's to no avail. Actually says that. Mutilators of the flesh to no avail with Jesus. But here's what I'm calling you to, and it's what Jesus calls us to, and it's what Paul specifically says is we must die to ourselves. I'm not saying you have to go out and try to be tortured or seek whatever. I'm saying, though, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. We all have a cross to bear. Maybe it's a husband who doesn't love Jesus. Maybe it's a wife who is difficult to be with, who doesn't love Jesus. We're called to bear that cross. Maybe it's a father or a mother or a family that you're a part of. That is your cross. Maybe it's a ministry to the other side of the world. Maybe it's a ministry right here. Maybe it's a ministry to your work that's going to cost you your life. What else is worth giving to other than the kingdom of God? 
the kingdom that will last forever. You see, it's not our ministry. Instead, we join Jesus. He is already on the move in people's lives. And what you're going to find out if you will ever start step out on faith, if, if I will step out on faith to those who God has called me to, we're going to find that He's already at work. It's not us trying to dig it all out ourselves. When we came to this area nine years ago, God was already on the move in people's hearts. And He gave us a vision to reach people who primarily, this is sort of an insight here, but, but primarily people who had sort of grown up maybe in a Christian context, but when they reached college, out of the ballgame. And they're not awful people. They're just not doing anything for Jesus. And God called us to those people primarily. Now, now other people's ministry, my dad attracts a lot of people who are struggling with addictions and stuff. That's not who I'm able to attract. But that's why God calls all sorts of people and raises up all sorts of churches because we need all sorts of people's all sorts of churches to reach all people. And we become all things to all men so that we might reach some and save some and pluck them from the fire. That is our myth, but it's going to cost you your life. Now, it may not mean that you're going to be beheaded. And I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't come down to that. But we must lay down our life like our Master did. Thankfully for you this morning, that just simply means... Spiritually speaking, we must die to our way. Die to ourself so that others might live. That has to always be attached. As they laid down their lives in Acts, the church grew. And you know what the good news is this morning? is the same Spirit that led this powerful movement of God in Acts is the same Spirit that is offered today. It is the same good news that is offered today that they were reading, that we read. It's the same Jesus who is the captain of our salvation. It is the same Father who is willingly pouring out His grace to all. Francis of Assisi said, Who is more ready? God to give His grace or we to receive it? He also famously said this, Preach everywhere, at all times, and in all places, to all peoples, and if you have to, use words. Preaching is not about what I'm doing up here. That's something God has called me to do. The majority of people are not called to do this sort of preaching, but everybody is called to preach with your life. Amen. Have you noticed in your relationships, like I have, that actions speak way louder than words? You can tell someone that you love them, but to show them that love speaks so many more words than you'll ever be able to utter in all of your life. And trust me, people are watching. The world is watching. Not only that, let me put a weight on you, a burden on you. The church around the world is watching Amer the American church 
to see what we're going to do. In the wake of radical Islam growing around the world, and it is, what is the response of the American church? I don't mean American politics. Set that aside. I'm talking about us right here. What are we going to do at Harvest Point to reach the Muslims that are here? There are Muslims here. Can I share with you real quick a statistic that I looked up? And I know some of you will like statistics because you're mathematically minded. The Association of Religion Data Archives did a survey and they used 236 different groups and organizations to align people with, right? Alright, and so after all those different organizations and groups, of course all the major world religions and even some of the odder ones and lesser ones were put into play in Madison County. In Madison County there was a total of 334,811 total number of people that were up for grabs, so to speak. After everybody had been assigned, a hundred, listen to this, 165,981 people in Madison County are unclaimed. That means they don't, they don't have any affiliation with any kind of community, organization, what have you. That's half the people that live here. You say, why do we need more churches down here on Church Street? A ton of churches. You drive down here. Ton of, let me tell you, if, if we tried to get people in Madison City alone in all those churches, it wouldn't work. It's not even close. We wouldn't even come. They had this problem after 9-11 in New York City. You remember? Everybody went to church the next day and after 9-11, and they couldn't hold it. They're packed out. Do you know that all those churches that Paul planted, which was like in the area where Turkey is, right, today, all those churches he planted, none of them exist today. Not one. Why? Because a church, like a body, has a life cycle. And churches are born, churches live and thrive, they get old, and they die. This church here is a testament to a church being born out of the death of another congregation in Greenwood, Mississippi. They closed their doors, liquidated their assets, and closed up shop and died honorably. We all know churches that hang on to the very end that don't die honorably and leave a legacy. The church in Greenwood decided they would leave a legacy. And we're sitting here today because of some of the funds that they put forward that moved us here to plant and birth a new church. Churches have life cycles, and any church you name in this area is in a life cycle. And that's why we always need to be making more babies, if you will. Planting more churches. And so we're called to. In Limestone County, by the way, it's 39,000 people who are unclaimed. So, who is the next whirlwind like Paul? Who's the next rock that we can build upon that will leave from this church and move out into... We're not trying to just build something big here to look back and say, wow, check that out. We're trying, as our 
slogan says so clearly, we are trying to grow something to share with others. The money we take in, we want to share with others. The people that God gives us, we want to train you up to share you with others. This is not about a competition from one church. We're all on the same team. He is the captain and we're listening to what He wants us to do and asking for wisdom in the days to come. And let me tell you, He's downloaded some stuff to me that I can't even get out just yet. And it's going to take me a couple months to get it out. But when it starts rolling out, I'm like so excited uh, to tell you about it that I'd spend another 45 minutes and we just simply don't have it. Here's the reality is this. God is on the move. It's not up to me. And it's not up to just you. Thankfully. Praise be to God. It's not up to just us alone. But we're joining Him in His work. He's already reaching out to the people who are unclaimed. Let's introduce them to a family. Let's introduce them to a citizenship. Let's adopt them into the family of God. That is where they belong. Let's bring them home. How can we do that? Did you notice all the six summary statements? Through the Word of God. Increasing. Through prayer. Through fellowship. Through eating cake together like we're about to do. Patting each other on the back, hugging each other, embracing one another, forgiving one another in love, in relationship. That's what moves the church forward through the sacraments, through the taking of communion, through baptisms. That's how the church spreads through God's signage. His signage is you. You're His biggest billboard. And He wants to put you up wherever you work. He wants to put you up wherever you live. On that street, claim it for Jesus. At that job, claim it for Jesus. At your grocery store, claim it for Jesus. Where you get gas, claim it for Jesus. Where you eat often, make relationships. Love people. Yes. This is not something new. We already know what we're supposed to be doing. Sometimes we just need a nudge and a brother or sister to come alongside us. That's what we're doing at Harvest Point. That's what, because that's what Jesus is doing. <laughs> Don't you love that? That's what He's doing. He's taking us by the hand and He's leading us forward. We're going home. We're going home. We've got a ways to go, but we're going home. We want to bring as many people with us as possible. Amen.